Before I go into this afternoon's lesson, I need to say thank you, thank you, thank you to the Carmen Church. I know this is uh, probably, I think somebody told me this is 65th annual lectureship. I am not sure whether I was here in 1951 for the first one, but I am absolutely positive I was here in 1952 because that was a life-changing experience for Dorothy and me. It was out of the lectureship in 1952 that God called me to the profession that I followed the rest of my life. And I can't, I really can't express my love for you as a congregation, for many of your parents, your grandparents, for the Taylor family, all of whom were so influential in a young man trying to make his way in the church. This was the roots of Dorothy's family, and uh, I have been thinking this last several months just how valuable that has been for me. Randy emailed me back in February, I believe it was February, to tell me that this was the subject for the upcoming lectureship and asked me to take part. And without any hesitation, I said, I would be glad to come and I will take the subject of love. There's a little story behind that. Back in probably 1956 or 1957, I was a young, ambitious, just out of college preacher. And as I recall, at that point in time, the church was very, very active in endeavoring to convert people to the truth of the Bible. And I picked up on that, and I, I followed along in that particular vein for quite some time. And the church at Sherbrooke Street in Winnipeg finally decided that we needed a better building, and so we moved over to Aaron Street and built a building there. And after one Sunday sermon, Ruth Etoff, who passed away just recently, came up to me and she said, young man, when are you going to preach on the love of God? Now, I don't remember my exact words, but I think I said to her, as soon as I understand it, And that's been with me all of these years. And when, when uh, the fruit of the Spirit was presented as the subject for today's or this weekend's lectureship, I jumped on the opportunity to speak on the subject of love. 
in the course of my studying for this particular lesson, I came across a passage in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, which I think says it all. The Apostle Paul writing to a struggling church in the city of Ephesus says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. Folks, young and old, on a scale of one to ten, one being weak, ten being strong. How's your love life? How's your love life? I'm not talking about sex. I'm not talking about the relationship that husbands have to wives or wives to husbands. I'm not asking a question related to the many, many things that are presented to us in our world as love. I'm challenging you this afternoon to answer the question, how's your love life as the scripture talks about your love life. I want, I want you to listen very carefully, very carefully to a couple of passages of scripture that you know by heart, or at least you know pretty closely by heart. But I want you to think about these in relationship to the question that I asked you. How's your love life? Listen to Paul as he writes to the Corinthian church. In the 13th chapter, he says, If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, mm -hmm. 
so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I think I have the most important topic on the agenda. <laughs> Paul closes this chapter by what? Now abides faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about measuring your faith by your love? Have you ever thought about measuring the hope you have in Christ by love? Paul makes it so very, very absolutely clear, doesn't he? If I have everything in the world, if I, if I have all the spiritual gifts that God can give, if I reach out and give all of my possessions to the poor, but it's not precipitated and grounded in love, it doesn't mean a thing. Okay. So what's love? What's love? In our English language, love is used for all sorts of things. I have a little 15-year-old Shih Tzu puppy that I love with all my heart. I like playing bridge, and I love playing bridge. I used to love sauerkraut. I got past that. <laughs> but, but the thing, folks, is that we use this term love in so many different ways to mean so many different things that it behooves us to know what God is talking about or what we were singing about. God is love. I went back into the Old Testament and got a hold of some books that I have and, and started looking back and you know in the Old Testament the terms the Hebrew terms for love are very similar to our English terms for love. They mean all sorts of things. But when we turn to the New Testament, there is a word that's given, and, and many of you know that word, and we've talked about it. It's the word agape. You remember when Jesus talked to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Twice he used a different term. The third term he said, Peter, do you agape? Do you agape? And Peter said, yes. 
And that's when Jesus said, okay, feed my sheep. What does that mean? How, how can I measure my love life if I don't know what I'm talking about? What does agape mean? Well, God intends for us as Christians to practice agape love. Okay, God, what do you mean by that? I looked it up. I tried to find out what, what all of the ramifications are of that particular word in the New Testament. And over the years, I've kind of reduced that to meaning one particular thing, but there's several meanings drawn out of it in the Koine Greek language that I'd like to share with you as you think about raising your love life. One of the meanings of agape love is affection. It's the kind of feeling that you have for somebody that you really like to be around. That, that changes the way you feel about yourself or other people. It's, it's, it's a term, affection. It also means benevolence. Yes, God expects us to be benevolent. It's part of his description of godly love, is benevolence. God so loved the world that he gave. I cannot possibly, I cannot possibly demonstrate agape love in my life if I refuse to be benevolent. It means goodwill. Goodwill. I, I kind of like thinking about goodwill as thinking the best of people. Of, of looking for the good in people, of finding something to, to compliment a person about, having goodwill towards people. It also means high esteem. Didn't the scripture say, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think? And don't think about your own well-being Think also about other people's well-being. On a scale of one to ten, when we interact with people, how much do we really want to hold them in high esteem? It's part of the agape love. And this probably is the meaning that we have most often drawn from it and certainly is cardinal to it. It means concern for the welfare of the one you love. When Jesus said, love your enemies, 
He meant it. It means we have concern for the ones we love. And if, if we're going to love everyone, then obviously we're going to have concern for other people. That's what it means. That's the definition. How do I practice it? How, how do I measure? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think Paul gives us the standards by which we are to measure our love. I'm going to go through these. And as I go through them, I have done this to myself many, many times in the last two months, I'll tell you. I want you to examine yourself. Paul says, love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. How are we doing? Are you patient? Are you kind? Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love is not putting oneself on a pedestal or bragging about how well we've done or boasting about our abilities in whatever field it is. This next one jumped on me as I look back on my life, love does not insist on having its own way. Love does not insist on having its own way. How, how do you, how, how did I behave in meetings where everybody thought differently from me and I wanted it to be my way? Paul says, if I have not love, I have got nothing. Love does not insist on having its own way. It's not irritable. Uh oh. It's not resentful. The next one perhaps is a little easier for us. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We don't, we don't hold up evil as good. We recognize evil for what it is. It's evil. 
And we rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Thought about that? You can't go wrong demonstrating agape love. It never fails. You can't go wrong. I find it interesting, or I found it interesting in, in the course of looking at some of the scriptures regarding love that in Second Peter, Peter places love at the end of a list of things. Let me just read that for you. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. Now, keep that in mind. In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, agape, Christian love. When I read that and, and, and pondered it and thought about it, Peter is saying to me as a Christian that you are to grow. You have a basic faith upon which you build your life. Now you have to grow and you have to, in your faith, supply these things. And it seems to me as I look at that, that Peter is saying each one of these things is built on the one before it. So that when you reach the climax, the apex of your faith, you will demonstrate in your life Christian love. Agape love. Paul does it differently. In Galatians chapter 5, which is the, the chapter from which the theme for this lectureship is drawn, Paul says, and the fruit of the Spirit is, and number one on the list is love. I'm not sure whether I understand all that I know about that. But it seems to me that what the two writers are saying, Peter on the one hand is saying, when you're trying to live the Christian life, do it this way. But Paul says, when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you will be dominated by agape. You will be dominated by love. 
few, a couple of years ago, at the uh, Wayburn Fellowship, the speaker made the observation in one of his lessons. He said, where good is, God is. And I thought, that's wise. That's, that's a good statement. That's a very true statement. And as I was looking at this lesson today, I think where love is, God is. Where love is, God is. Today in Winnipeg, one of the missions is having a I think it's today or maybe it's on Sunday, is having a, an Easter dinner for the homeless. They are going to feed a thousand people. God is there. God is there. When we find a group of people, and in, in our world we need more people like this who demonstrate the love of God in the way that they act towards other people. We see the needy, the people struggling, and we have the ability to reach out to them. We are acting in response to the Spirit of God within us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, speaking about the Spirit of God, says, And the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, is it a real stretch for us to say where the Spirit of God is, love is. And where love bears witness with our spirit, we are the children of God. It's one way of, dis of demonstrating our relationship to the Father. Yes, faith is important. Hope is essential. But the greatest of these is love. Think about a few passages that I'll, I'll leave you with. First John chapter 4, verse 19. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. John couldn't make any plainer than that, could he? For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That makes it pretty clear. God says, your love for me is demonstrated by your love for your brothers and sisters.
They came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted from two Old Testament passages, one in Deuteronomy and one in Leviticus. And his response to them was, number one, you love God with every fiber of your being. And number two, you love your neighbor as yourself. And let me demonstrate, let me illustrate how Jesus demonstrated that when he said, he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here is an example of a person on the outside reaching in to help someone. James had another way of saying it. And we don't usually put this together, but what I did. James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And John clarifies that, I think, when he says this. Whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, love not in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. John said, God is love, and all who love live in God, and God lives in them. Paul writes, Love is the greatest of all spiritual gifts. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that love is one of the hardest things for us to do. I mean, really love. The kind of love that God describes in His Word. Perhaps one of the most difficult characteristics for us to develop. And so Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit is love. God's spirit helping our spirit to do what God wants us to do. I made it. So we'll back up and I'll leave you with it. How's your love life?
Have your love life.